Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit, the horror movie review podcast for horror fans and fanatics alike. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, delivering horror movie reviews and discussions of both classic and current films for your twisted pleasure. Please be aware that episodes may include spoilers, and as always, I hope you enjoy. For this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, my guests and I are tackling what is, quite frankly, one of the wildest horror films of the year, that being James Wan's Malignant, in which Madison is stalked by a supernatural presence that's tormented her since her childhood and has returned to endanger the lives of her loved ones and those tied to her mysterious past. And joining me today to unpack this bonkers horror hybrid is returning friend of the show and the host of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club podcast, Devon Taylor. Devon, welcome back to the show, man. Yo, yo, yo. Thank you for having me. And um, I apologize to everyone in advance for any sudden bursts of yelling or cackling during this episode because <laughs> uh, I love this movie a lot. I was going to say, there's going to be a lot of uh, off-mic cackling, but it'll still pick up. But I think that that just kind of shows both of our... Uh, enthusiasm for this movie and you know part of why I think I love this movie so much and you know now I'm thinking about it I've probably watched rewatched this movie more this year than anything else um, and that's just because it sort of came out of nowhere for me in terms of didn't really know what to expect and was so w- wonderfully surprised by it being such an amalgamation of so many different sort of corners of horror and then of other corners of uh, movies and whatnot mm-hmm. Um, but I'm first. I kind of want to start at the beginning. And what was uh, your sort of introduction to James Wan? I mean, he's such a prolific voice in horror over the last decade plus, and he's had so many different horror films mm-hmm. and started so many different franchises. I'm curious, what was your introduction to him? So I remember, like, I, I guess my first like true introduction, like whenever I actually like knew who he was and like what he was doing, would be Insidious. Um, but I do, cause I remember when Saw came out, I was, uh, I mean, I was like, I don't know, eight or nine. And I remember one of my parents got it on a bootleg DVD. <laughs> if y'all, anybody knows about that. <laughs> and, uh, so it was like, I mean, and Saw already is like low mm-hmm. quality. So trying to watch out on a bootleg, <laughs> I remember it was like so terrible, like the quality was so terrible. So like none of us were like actually paying attention to what was going on and stuff. So like I did see Saw first, but like didn't actually like really watch Saw until like, I don't know, a few years ago when I like did my first marathon of the series was whenever I like actually was like watched like Saw. But Insidious was like the first one that stood out as far as you know, like starting to recognize his style and uh, some of the stories that he would go on to tell. And then I remember, um, and then I remember The Conjuring, when The Conjuring came out, I thought it was another Insidious movie because of um, um, Wilson. I don't know why I can't think Patrick of Patrick Wilson. There's so many Wilsons. Patrick yeah. Wilson. And so I like got the two mixed up. I remember I like didn't watch, or I didn't watch the first conjuring for like a few months because I just thought it was another insidious movie. Cause I didn't really like the second one. Um, so I was just like, ah, I'll skip that. And I was like, Oh, the conjuring something different. And then like, that's when like the conjuring one and two is when I like really fell in love with James Wan. Yeah. My first introduction wasn't even horror related. It was, um, uh, Death Sentence with Kevin Bacon. That was my first sort of introduction to him, Mm. which is a movie that has not necessarily aged uh, as well as I would have liked over the years. But I think that that was a great primer as an introduction to James Wan because it shows that he's able to tell 
not only like a variety and sort of a blending of genres within his stories, but also he has this really savage quality to his violence that of course is translated into his horror films and then the scares and whatnot around that. But I mean, he's always struck me as a filmmaker and you know, it's it could be very easy to label him as just a horror filmmaker, but I think when you look at his body of work, it touches upon so many different mm -hmm. genres and he has a quality to his movies where even if it's something as low-fi, if you will, as like Saw, there's something about it where it just feels like there is this gritty vision that he can extend on in a way that while some elements of it might feel very familiar to horror, he just always has this little twist or flair to things that kind of like leaves a distinct mark on it in a way that when you first see it, you can't really put your finger on it, but those movies stick with you in a way that even if you watched it on a bootleg DVD, like you're going to remember it and you're going to come back to it later in life probably. Yeah, I mean, I think what it is is like all, a lot of his movies, like no matter the genre, because like, yeah, he like obviously is primarily done horror, but then, you know, I kind of forgot about Death Sentence. And then now that you, once you mentioned it, I see Death Sentence in mm. this movie. I think this movie is like an interesting amalgamation of all the kind of things that James Wan has done. And I mean, he's done Aquaman, he did um, Furious 7. Uh, the best Fast and Furious movie, by the way. Is that the one where they jump from a building to another building with a car? Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> That's the only one I remember, other yeah. than the one where they used to steal VHSs or, VH or DVD players or whatever. Yeah, um, but, you know, and so we, we see his, like, action stuff, like, all of his movies, no matter the genre, kind of have this this sleekness to it and even when it is dealing with like stuff that is violent or sometimes gory or scary stuff there's always this like sleekness to his movies that like kind of give it this blend of like old style but like 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 almost like because i feel like his filmmaking style he kind of takes a lot from the 70s and you like kind of see those techniques but then he like updates them to you know the things that we can do in modern days with our technology and stuff like that so it's like um there's like this interesting blend of like yeah it does have that grit to it but there's also like this like really nice sleekness to it he's kind of been defined by like his camera movements and like the way he sets up uh scares i think the way he sets up like uh scare set pieces i don't know if there's a better director that does them um better than james wan does and yeah so it's like with malignant we kind of get this amalgamation of like everything that he's done, you know, cause like, I mean, even throwing in like, you know, stuff from dead silence as far as like the tone goes. And like, I mean, we really see a lot of everything. And I also love that this movie was him, you know, like it, it, cause it, at certain points he parodies himself in this movie a little bit, but at the same time, this is a movie that, you know, is like, after he's made all these successful films, he started multiple successful franchises, he's made Warner Brothers a shit ton of money. So he said, you know what, for this movie, I wanna make something for me, I wanna make it crazy. He's like, hand me the checkbook, don't ask me any questions, I'm doing it. And they're just like, uh, yeah, because like they can't say no to him because he has like done so well for himself as, um, you know, being you know he, he's kind of in that perfect spot that a lot of directors want to be where they still you kind of still see the indie roots and he still gets to do his thing and be creative but on a blockbuster you know budget you know and like not many directors get that anymore besides like 
maybe Mike Flanagan, like in the way that, right. you know, he's getting with uh, his Netflix properties. So, um, yeah, I, I just love that this movie exists <laughs> at all. Well, I think that's a great setup for my next question, which is what were your expectations for Malignant? Because this was very much one of those things where the trailer came out, I saw James Wan's name attached to it, and it's the type of thing where I'm like, well, okay, I'm already in because I've enjoyed, uh, for many of the reasons that you mentioned, like his approach to what on the surface might seem very traditional in terms of like a traditional haunting or a traditional possession, and yet he has mm-hmm. the stylistic elements in his films, whether it be a sleekness or evoking other eras of filmmaking, where it makes it his own in a way that it just feels authentic to his style. It doesn't necessarily just feel like, oh, he's trying to crib from another genre or another director or another era, rather, in terms of filmmaking. It always feels very genuine in what he's doing. Um, and with Malignant, it was one where, at least like based off the initial trailer, I got through about half of it and I was like, oh, this seems just like another supernatural slasher, mm-hmm. sort of. But yep. I'm totally in because of who is directing it. But I think it ended up obviously being something very different and very unexpected. but I'm curious, what was your uh, sort of expectations based off of that sort of initial trailer or the first two trailers? Or Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I remember not really being excited for hmm. this movie. I was like, okay, we are getting a James Wan horror movie that's not in the Conjuring verse or anything like that. I was like, cool. But then, like you said, like once I, you know, because I, I try not to watch trailers, but I do remember they would show this trailer in front of so many YouTube videos. Yeah. So, like, I just inevitably kept seeing it and I would, like, kind of see it and I'd tune out. But then, like, like you said, like, I, like, saw it and I was like, I don't know what this movie is about. I guess a supernatural killer, um, a ghostly imaginary friend. I was like, uh, okay, it's James Wan. I'll still go see it. Like, that's pretty much where I was at. And, and it's like I have a I have a love-hate relationship when it comes to movie marketing, um, you know, because I think t- today's age has gotten so complicated and like it, marketing sets up expectations so much for films these days and sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad, you know, like a good vague trailer can get people in and like, you know, draw up the interest and like I see it and then like, you know, it'd be blindsided or it's like a lot of trailers would give stuff away. Um, thank goodness that was not the case here. I don't, I don't know if WB was like in on it for like, you know, like was being conscious of the marketing or if they didn't know how to market the movie, right. <laughs> which still paid off to the movie's benefit. I can't tell if it was intentional or not, but I feel like like the, the closest thing that I can compare it to, and like especially with the reception of the film too, like how kind of, I mean, I'd say more people do generally like this, but it's still pretty divisive. A lot of people like, if they don't, if this isn't their thing, they really don't like it. Um, but it reminded me of back in 2017 when Mother came out and they sold that movie as just a straight, it looked like a home invasion thriller or something. And like, like they, they like market it as like a, a run of the mill horror movie. And like, it's definitely not right. that, <laughs> which, you know, I feel like inadvertently helped it because I mean, it gave people such visceral reactions to that movie. And people were discoursing it for like a month, you know, like love it, hate it, like where is it falling? And like this movie, uh, this movie and like Halloween Kills, we kind of had two of them this year that had these just like very interesting, divisive responses. Mm. But 
these are the movie like and I'm one way on each one of this. I love this one. Hated Halloween Kills. But either way, I love movies that just like spawn this amount of discourse yeah. or just also like this movie is like one of those ones that's just like you ask a friend like, hey, have you seen Malignant? And they're like, no, what is that? And you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to show you. Don't look up the trailer. Let's watch it now. You know, and it's like it, I feel like it's going to become one of those movies over the next five years that is popular at just like he's like you know just like showing somebody out the gate and seeing what their reaction is going to be whether they like it or not i totally agree and you know i have also a a very love hate more often hate relationship with movie marketing in a lot of ways where it's like they either don't know how to market something properly which could very well be the case with something like malignant where so much of the fun and the shock in it is the big reveal and kind of like the zany ways mm -hmm. and twists and turns one's mind sort of goes in and bringing this very uh, one of a kind story and whatnot to life, but in a way where you actually have the studio backing. And of course, because like you had said, he made, he's made WB so much money, he basically gets that blank check to do whatever he wants, um, which is fantastic. But at the same time, and I obviously didn't go back and watch any of the, the trailers that came out closer to the release, but I could definitely see it being the type of thing where they start to panic right before the release of the movie. Granted, it being yep. released simultaneously on HBO Max, which given when it was released in terms of like the pandemic, I would bet most people probably watched it on HBO Max. But it's the type of thing still where it's like closer to that release, they start to panic and be like, well, we have to get people to see this. Let's have a trailer that it gives you they a little show, bit more yeah. of a hint. So, I mean, you're probably the same mm -hmm. way with trailers. I get about 60 seconds into them now and I just bail because I'm like, I'm either into this or I'm not at that. Or when it comes to streaming, maybe I'll take a gamble. But this is definitely one where I found that it's kind of like what you had been saying in terms of this is one that I've seen. I think I've seen this six times now during the year. And that's because <laughs> the majority of the time, in addition to watching it the first time and watching it uh, to get prepared to chat with you about it, like showing my roommates. I showed both my roommates that they mm -hmm. are not like big horror guys, but they enjoy the spectacle of it in a way that I think is enjoyable and easily consumable for people that maybe aren't necessarily genre fans like you and I, which is an element of this movie mm -hmm. that I think, as you said, it makes it a lot of fun to show people. And I think that it's definitely going to be prime for in the next five years or so, kind of like that revisit where it's people are like, okay, Maybe we had too of a visceral reaction to this because it's so different than everything else that James Wan has done, even though mm -hmm. it is very in line stylistically with a lot of things that we've seen throughout his yes. career, which I think now in just saying that, like that is such a wonderful thing as a genre fan to be given, right? That idea that a director can give you something that's unlike anything else in their body of work, yet it is still reminiscent of their body of work and kind of like the growing to this uh, point, that being malignant. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something also that I really appreciated more and more. And I'm, we'll, of course, get into it once we actually dive into Malignant. Um, but it's the thing where his time away from horror, and he's still always been associated with horror, even if he wasn't in the director's chair or writing, right? He's been producing or being involved in the creative mm -hmm. process of films. Um, but at the same time, it just, this film feels like it is somebody that has stepped away from the director's chair and then doesn't miss a beat in coming back and takes a lot of those things that mm -hmm. he has learned and he's the knowledge that he has kind of probably soaked up on the set of films like Aquaman or Fast and the Furious, which don't have anything to do with horror. And yet you can kind of see that big Hollywood blockbuster, um, maybe 
pedigree and whatnot from those films, and you can see him take that and apply it to a horror film, which, as a genre fan, is just a really amazing thing to uh, <laughs> to see. Yeah, like, it, it was like, the, the viewing experience in the theater was, like, easily my favorite of the year so far, and I went with a friend, and, like, the epitome of this movie is, like, we're both like cackling throughout this entire movie. Like, I mean, I'm like getting so giddy and excited, like as things just like keep progressing. And then we like get to the, we like get out of the movie and I was like, oh my God, that fucking ruled, right? And then she was like, no, I kind of hated it. But like, it was also just like, it was happening. And like, so it was like literally like, I was just like, oh, I thought we were literally on the same wavelength while like cackling at, you know, different aspects of it. Um, but yeah, it's it, like, I, I just love that because I feel like we also don't get these type of genre films as far as um, one with a big budget. I mean, this thing got $40 million behind it, like, uh, like and, it, and, it, and it has that like Dark Castle vibes Absolutely. to it because like Dark Castle like actually put like good money into making these spectacle, you know, fun, rompy type horror movies like I feel like the 2010s have been dominated by the, you know, real deep, methodical, um, you know, exploring, you know, interesting theme like type movies like, you know, the, the, the A24 horror movie type shit. Like, I feel like is, you know, the, the general thing that a lot of people like more people want the, the disturbed, slow burn, fucked up shit, which don't get me wrong. I love. But like at the same time, I was just like, man, like. We don't get just like many horror movies that are just like, this is about having fun. Like, is Malignant trying to say some stuff about themes and and biological family and stuff like that? I mean, I guess <laughs> they're, they're trying. trying. <laughs> but that's not what this movie right. is about though. Like, this movie is just it it's it takes you on a ride of like kind of luring you, like the first thirty minutes luring you into Oh yeah, is this just a typical James Wan joint? Like, yeah, like we got the standard haunted house stuff, and then just like each time it levels up with each act, it's like it, this this movie was made to be an experience, not just you know. And then and it rewards you too, because like when you go back on the rewatches, one the fun scenes are still fun, but then you do see all the clues that did set up this reveal at the end. I mean, every it was all there, and I mean, I figured it out like pretty pretty in a pretty decent amount of time. But um, yeah, how, how much longer we hold in spoilers here? Because I mean, we can we can we can dive right into them. But I think before we do that, like that's a great point that you make in terms of it being a movie that is fun, which allows it not only to be rewatched, but also I think in just how gleeful one is in making this movie is so evident that mm-hmm. even if you're able to suss out the twist or the reveal fairly early on, it doesn't spoil the experience and if anything it makes it more fun like you said on those rewatches you just go back and you get to start picking out things and clues and whatnot but i think that that is the telltale sign of a director that is doing something that they've never done quite before but at the same time there's no sort of stutter step in that it feels very meticulous in how it's crafted even if it is this film that is at times incredibly silly very cackle inducing and whatnot like we've been saying and and i think most importantly like is apologetic in those wide swings that it takes or those drastic turns that it takes mm-hmm. uh right from the jump but i mean you mentioned earlier like the divisiveness of the movie and whatnot and people are very much in one of two camps much like halloween kills uh, which was also released this year but 
it was interesting to me just in terms of specifically this movie, not so much Halloween Kills, but with this film, I was like, who was not prepared somewhat for the tone that the movie was going to take based off of the first five minutes in the movie. I mean, that first opening five minutes it is basically a distillation, it feels, of all of the different tones and a lot of the sort of just hybrid of genre and whatnot that Juan is celebrating in that and, of course, in the entire film. That being when we have this flashback to this, speaking of Dark Castle, there's like this massive sprawling medical facility Mm -hmm. that looks very Frankenstein castle-esque on the side of a cliff. And then you have a patient that's breaking containment, but more so than it just being like a spooky hospital, it feels very sort of like pulpy, right? Because you've got these beautiful lines of dialogue, such as he's drinking the electricity and all these types of things (laughs) where it's just like so ridiculous, but Juan sells it in a way that is so stylized and so visually engaging that I think it works really, really well in terms of like, on paper it sounds silly, but he backs that sort of silly pulpiness up with a production value that is actually more respectful of that type of pulpiness and recognizes it for what it is that I don't think mm-hmm. we necessarily see a lot. You know, it, it sometimes when you say, use those kind of like buzzwords like it's pulpy or it's for genre fans or it's leaning into its sort of genre biases, there's it's underplayed by a cheapness sometimes. Whereas that's never the case with mm-hmm. this, I think. Like Juan presents everything with the respect or at least the production budget or production design behind it to sell it as this sexy shot of something that might sound ridiculous again, like drinking electricity or get the uh, breaking out like an elephant tranquilizer gun to stun a patient. And it looks mm-hmm. and it's like seven feet long and or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and like with movies like this, too, and like kind of like what you like, we're talking about, like the the having the quality behind it and everything is like. Even if this movie isn't for you tone-wise, I, I don't truly get how people like say this is like a terrible movie. Because like even if you don't like the tone or like what it's going for or the story, I mean just the production value alone, the uh, you know quality behind it, the quality behind the sets, the time taken in to do all these things. Like I always like get frustrated when people say things like, Oh, it's one of the worst movies ever made. It's like, is it really though? Like do the worst movies ever made look like this, you know, have these fucking camera shots and like the, that, I mean like the, the spookiest lab hospital, like looks gorgeous. Mm. Like, I mean like, like, can you really hold this to something else? Like, you know, so like, you know, the, exemplifies how in today's age like when we're discoursing things like people like to measure in extremes you know and even though like you know because like i love this movie and even to acknowledge still like some of the um other things as far as like some of the 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 script or some of the acting choices or something like that like i gave this i give this movie a three and a half out of five but that's my that's my score for a hot mess um, which is which is a lot of movies that like I truly love. Like some of my all-time favorite movies are three and a half star movies because like yeah I can uh, you know admit to certain flaws and everything, but like the highs and like the things that does do exceptionally well like outweigh it. Then I'm like this is a movie that I'm mean, like hot messes are the movies I watch the most. These are movies that like like I said like feel more personal to me whenever I enjoy them. But, like, I can still, like, look at it and be like, yeah, you know, there's still uh, quite a few things that could, like, get tightened up in this movie. But 
for what it is, still love it. Yeah, I think also like what I've learned over the years, anybody that leads with talking about a movie as it's the worst movie that I've ever seen is just telling on themselves for the fact they haven't watched enough movies because I don't know how you can watch something like this right? and say that. Like even with as divisive as something like Halloween Kills was and it's not a movie for everybody and I probably enjoyed it a little more than most, but at the end of the day, like if somebody leads with this is the worst movie I've ever seen, it's like, well, you're either not ready to have a more constructive conversation about something or which right. at that point like why even have that conversation it's kind of like it's the worst thing i've ever seen is like why don't you take that energy and put it in talking about something you enjoy rather than giving this very sort of like mm -hmm. just bland state general statement about something where it was like well was it what else have you been watching probably nothing probably if this was the worst then i would hate to see what else you've watched but i think also right. um in terms of like that opening scene, which I love so much. I went back and watched it a couple of times today um, before we were recording. I just love the needle drop that it has right after the doctor's like looking right into the camera. And she's like, we have to cut out the cancer. And then you have this kind of new metal-esque almost uh, needle drop. And that moment in particular, especially when I was like showing it to my roommates, they were like, what the hell is this movie? And I just love that reaction, that sort of visceral reaction to it where they're just like, okay, we don't know how this movie is going to progress and what the sort of, t again, coming back to like the tone of the movie, like what is, is this supposed to be serious? Is it supposed to be scary? Is it supposed to be fun? And I suppose I understand some of the divisiveness in that it, for some people maybe that aren't as big as genre fans, they might find that very jarring in a more off-putting way. But again, like coming back mm. to the idea that we've now seen more than a handful of James Wan movies and to get something that feels so different while still being reminiscent of his work um, is something that as a fan who watches movies constantly, like that's exciting in a way that I don't know a lot of, no, there's plenty of exciting and new uh, films and things like that. But I think that it's very rare that we see as high profile as high budget within the horror space as this. And it takes some risks and more often than not, it sounds like for the both of us, mm -hmm. it pays off. But I mean, for you, how yeah. do you think that general blending of genres plays out through am amongst the film? And I mean, you said you had some qualms with the movie. Did you find that the genres and the blending of them had a cohesiveness to it? Or did you find that it was maybe a little more scattershot? Um, so I think that all the blending works for the most part, um, you know, because I like like movies that like kind of weave in and out like obviously like on my podcast like we are you know very into subgenre and so i like you know seeing the different pieces and how they add up and you know from the trailer i like you know thought it was gonna be more supernatural stuff um and then and then i heard jalo started getting floated around when people had seen it and so and then when this cold open hits you know then i'm like okay so we have like a little like uh, a smidge of sci-fi horror but we got like that that um that pulpiness to it and like that that line of dialogue like straight to the camera <laughs> and like the fact that they keep looking dead into the camera like throughout this yeah. movie cracks <laughs> me up and like the after this opening because like I, I love the art of the cold open and establishing a tone and like kind of what to expect um and this movie does give you that like so yeah it's like you're not gonna feel cheated when you watch this movie 
and things start keep getting more ridiculous like this that this cold open like reassured me that i was like oh okay i i think i am gonna enjoy this movie i think i'm in for something weird right now and like yeah and then like the the music cue for the title card was like straight out of uh 2004 (laughs) you know and so yeah it, it totally works for me um the thing that as far as like some of my flaws go with the with the tone and is i wanted them to commit a little bit more to the campiness um it's like because i feel like the doctor's performances like in that opening scene are it's like uh, yes i need everyone at this level of like saying these ridiculous lines in the most earnestness Like every time I rewatch this now, I say it's time we cut out the cancer. Like along with them, it's like a like like cheer. Like I'm like watching a sporting event, and I'm like it's time to cut out the cancer. And like I need everyone on that. And like I feel like um the um the other the detective, not uh not Shaw, but his partner. I feel like she she knew what was going on as far as like the campy performances go. But then, like, I feel just not everyone else was in on it as much, um, and I feel like like the, they they pre- they committed to the bit for the movie, like for the most part. But like, sometimes I just want them to kind of lean in just even a smidge more. Like, like if the I, I feel like this movie would be almost perfect if everyone's performances, if they acted the way that um, the cast does in The Love Witch. Uh, love the love witch is one of my favorite movies great camp horror and i feel like if everyone was giving that type of campy performance in this this would be like this would be top tier camp masterpiece yeah that's definitely i mean my only real qualms with the movie i think are very in line with yours in terms of just like the performances again everybody feels like they are at a different level or maybe they have a different way of approaching a lot of these things i think juan maybe saves Mm -hmm. it a little more than i would have probably a bigger issue with it if juan wasn't leaning so heavily into the camp behind the camera you know as much as they are leaning into it in front of the camera especially with like all of those slam cuts on people's faces and like zooming in on them and stuff like one of the lines where um the protagonist madison is revealing that she's been she's like i'm adopted and then the cameras do do that (laughs) slam cut to her face and it's just like the music starts blaring in and everything and it's very mellow like if we didn't have so many moments like that littered throughout the film i think that it would have been a little bit more grueling narratively speaking in terms of like when you're trying to because madison is in this abusive relationship which then kind of kickstarts all the the new round of uh horror elements and whatnot in her life and the supernatural and I think some of those moments are they are not sold as well as they could have been, especially with like her trying to come to grips with her trauma and how she's had, it seems to be a lengthy history with trauma because of these sort of like peaks and valleys in terms of like something that's overtly hilarious and people are selling these super campy lines, but then once in a while the film tries to get super serious. And I mean, at mm-hmm. least for me, I'm not, um, I'm wasn't the biggest fan of Annabelle Wallace in this. Um, or like like you had said the uh detective her name's escaping me now but um so or the male detective rather like it just feels sometimes like people are on a different page and sometimes that doesn't match up necessarily with like what the film is evoking it feels like they almost go off script Mm -hmm. and introducing a new sort of emotional tier 
to the film in a way that it kind of yeah. it makes it seem yeah. very uneven at certain points but then again like this is one so he's able to reel it back in very quickly and he's able to lean more into one of the various genres that he is uh evoking throughout the entire film yeah and it's like and and that scene specifically too when she is revealing to sydney that she's adopted and like like you said like because this is like so like up to this point like the most serious scene because she's like talking about like you know like like because she had been like super she hadn't been talking up to that Mm -hmm. point like after she miscarried the baby and then she finally goes in the spiel about you know like wanting a a real biological connection then it slows then it (laughs) (laughs) it slow zooms on sydney's face while (laughs) while uh maddie's talking about this and then it's like yeah like do they and it's like this is where these movies are hard like and you question the where the intention was all there like how much self-awareness is it because like did they try to make it serious with these like few little story plot lines or is it also like hey we think that this is like silly like this like you know like struggle of feelings between these adopted sisters who obviously are very close it's not like they've like had like issues or something that we don't know about like they're obviously they get along and stuff so it's like the fact that that's what they think they're building towards at the end of her like accepting sydney is like you are my real sister and it's like yeah you guys have been acting like real sisters this whole time (laughs) like so so and then just like and then yeah and then the editing choice to do that like the the smash cut you know to the camera using the where is my mind cover song which i feel like they even got that cover and like knew it wasn't very good like the cover of the song is it's like kind of weird in the way that it's used and man they and they get their money's worth they <laughs> use it i think i think i counted like five or six times yeah. and it's always on a like dramatic like cut to like close up in somebody's face so it's like the way that they use that song is like is like a joke so it's like do did they do that on purpose to like make fun of like this storyline that be like well, I mean, I guess we got to throw in, like, some, like, a theme or something, right? And there was like, yeah, yeah, something about the adoptive sisters. <laughs> well, I think that that's some of the difficulty that I've had in trying to defend the film to people that were not as big of fans as I was of it. Um, I think that they viewed my bringing up a lot of points like you just did in terms of being like, well, they're leaning into, or Juan is leaning into the fact that, like, mm-hmm. you're using that one song for everything, which in my mind is, like, reminiscent of like a CW sitcom or something where it's like, we've got one song. We're just going to stretch that for our money's (laughs) worth throughout the entire episode. But in this case, it's almost a two hour movie. And that I think came off as being, uh, making excuses for it or trying to justify poor decision-making from a filmmaker. But I think, and it's rare that you can make a statement like that and actually have the director's pedigree really back that up. And I think Juan is somebody that, if you look at his career, there's no way that he gets to where he's at and he is not a very knowledgeable and aware filmmaker of what he's doing and what he's producing, right? Yeah. You know, it it could be the if it was a director maybe that didn't have as big of a prestige or was not as well-versed in horror or well-versed in film in general as him, mm-hmm. you could maybe then start, you could make the argument be like, well, these are just like kind of shoddy decision-making or these were lackluster decisions yeah. and whatnot, but... In the case of somebody that is so well-rounded as a filmmaker, that's so knowledgeable, it 
that's a very hard sell to me that it was anything other than intentional, especially with this with that song, right? Which is not the best cover of that song, but also the fact that it's used repeatedly and it's used at these mm-hmm. key, these moments that are supposed to be like big emotional stakes moments, and it's kind of like again he's underselling the seriousness of the situation by having it right to the camera and whatnot and these little sort of uh, stylistic decisions that he makes which if anything make it more memorable than if it was just kind of played straight right yeah like i mean just in like some of the interviews that i've seen him talk about this movie like yeah I'm, i mean i'm still in that boat too like i'm pretty sure like 95 percent of the decisions in this movie were very intentional <laughs> yeah. like you know him him trolling the audience he's trolling mm-hmm. himself like um, cause I love like how Maddie's house like looks like every house <laughs> in every James yeah. Wan movie ever made. Like literally yeah. like so many people have watched it and they're like, is that the same in- house from Insidious or is right. that the same? Like they all look the same. Annabelle Wallace looks like the lead of like so many of his other movies too. So it's like, I feel like, you know, all these little details from the casting to the set, to the music choices, you know, like very much intentional and, in, um, in his decision making i think so i think in moving more into the scare side of things for malignant the film is obviously broken into two halves right it's before the reveal and after the reveal and i'm curious how do you find that he handles the scares or the build-up to scares prior to that big reveal Um, because it is a very distinct shift obviously once we have that reveal and things if anything like you had said they just explode in terms of not only the technical prowess of having a lot of these scenes come to fruition, but also it's just so aggressively over the top in a way that not a lot of horror sees, or at least big budget horror in this regard. Um, so I guess, like, how do the scares work for you prior to the reveal of who Gabriel, the supernatural force that's haunting Madison, actually is? Yeah, like, like kind of how I said, like, uh, that the first initial uh, set piece, like, feels like a very traditional James Wan, like, type of spook scene like you know we get you know something going on with the tv and then we see the shadows and then we see this and then um and then we kind of get it and then we get it after after um gabriel kills uh boyfriend mcshit pants <laughs> uh later when he's chasing maddie through or maddie's getting chased throughout the house it's like that typical like we get like the above from the living room it's still really cool it's a super uh, cool shot of like how it like follows from above and we like kind of get like the geography of the house like so that way we kind of you know can like know more things for later um but then as they kind of continue on it gets a little bit more interesting like because you know i i feel like the like when maddie would be transported to the scene where it's happening you know um it, it it was definitely very still vague enough that i was like okay like is it a psychic connection of some sort um, you know, are they tethered to each other in some way? So it's like, you are still, it's like, yeah, you're, you're on the right track, but not quite probably what you're <laughs> going to think, you know? Um, which, um, the, the, the first kill of, um, of the, the first doctor is so fun. Um, I like the, just the way it shot with the storm in the background and like, and, and again, the, they like kind of telegraph it with Maddie's like sitting there and you see her hand twitching. And then you like note, and then so you know this later that like you know when shit's going on with her hands, it's not just her being stuck there. Like so, it's like the 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 way that each each scare set piece kind of introduced a little more nuggets of um, what you know is possibly going on. 
because I remember um, I, I, I noticed it from the first scene, like whenever it like kills, uh, when Gabriel kills the boyfriend and I saw something like weird with like the movement, I remember. And then there's a throwaway line by um, the other detective that says like, yeah, we can't find any fingerprints, but all the hand marks were backwards <laughs> or upside yeah. down. And I was like, hmm. I was like, what's, I was like, why'd they say that? I was like, I, I saw something weird there. So it's like with each each like evolution or with each uh, incoming scene, they kind of give you a little bit more. Um, I, I like the variety. I, I like that we get some, you know, really great on camera kills, you know, with like lots of blood. Uh, I like that there's not a ton of jump scares. Um, there might be, there might be like two, two or three, just like kind of thrown in and like not bad, but like also like not the best, but you know, there to you know get do what they're supposed to do. But like you got to add variety in there, and um, I think that's something that James Wan's always excelled at, like how he kind of uses um, the empty spaces in his um, scares and stuff like that. Um, he definitely pulled out a, a, all the tricks out of his bag in this one. One of the only jump scares in the movie that made me go, oh shit out loud, is not even revolving around the killer. It's when Madison's in her house and then the camera like pans down at the floor almost and you see there's like a mini window there and then her sister's in the window there and it's not even like a monster or a killer or anything. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, oh shit, because I just wasn't expecting that. Um, but I think that you're right in that Juan has such a temperament to this movie that again, you can see inklings of decision making that he has done and definitely like the conjuring i think um especially that first half there's a lot of build-up to kills that i'm particular i'm thinking about the second doctor who's the man in the apartment that gets murdered and there's like three red herrings essentially about how he's about to get killed right he like he sees mm -hmm. the windows open all of a sudden. There's water leading into the closet. He goes in to investigate. There's nobody in the closet. Then he walks over to his bed and he gets in bed and we get this perspective of underneath the bed and we assume, oh, well, I at least assumed his Achilles is about to get slit, right? It's about to get added to that, that list of horrific mm -hmm. Achilles injuries in horror films. But then there isn't that. And then, of course, when you actually yeah. get that kill reveal, it's unexpected. You're expecting it because there's been so much buildup but then Juan delivers in what I think is probably his most brutal film uh, in terms of like his other horror movies. You just get this horrific savagery of the guy getting stabbed in the face. He gets his jaw sliced off. I mean, it is a fantastic buildup that plays against audience expectations in a way that I think, again, it's him taking a jab at himself almost. Because if you go back and look at some of Juan's earlier horror films, something like Insidious or Dead Silence or something, right? They're there are more jump scares that now at least I would find them as being like kind of cheap or just resemblant of a, maybe a novice filmmaker or a filmmaker that's coming into their own voice within horror um, in a way that yeah can't begrudge him for it. But at the same time, like, like I said, they don't really necessarily hold up for me as an example of why he is such an important voice in horror now. But I think that between that, but also, again, just how distinctly different the first half of the film is even if you don't know where the reveal is going or you don't see it coming i find that in revisiting they don't lose the sort of pristine attention to detail and bring them to life sometimes i find once you know the like the reveal or the twist or whatever in a horror film or who done it element sometimes you look back at the first half of the film and it doesn't really hit the same way but I find that he, again, pays such close attention to each kill being distinctly different, whether it be 
having this sort of build up to it and then kind of playing off the audience expectations or whether it's the more savage brutality that's in some element, some parts of the film. Uh, the first half of the film holds up in a way that I really, really enjoy. It doesn't kind of feel like you're just sitting there waiting for the big reveal for things to pop off, especially like when you're rewatching it, you mm-hmm. know where it's going. Yeah. But it doesn't diminish my enjoyment of the first half in terms of like the kills and whatnot, especially when you've got that fantastic sequence every time when Madison is being transported essentially to the scene of the crime in her perspective and the walls start melting around her from her reality and then they start rising up and it shows her the crime scene essentially of where someone's about to be murdered. I love that effect every single time it happens and it just makes for a visually intoxicating, for lack of a better way to put that, um, transition into something that has supernatural elements and yet it's not overtly so. Like that I think was probably what I was most Mm. surprised and what I was most pleased by because based on the trailer, it seemed to be very supernatural in the sense of like spirits or ghosts or something like that, which is not necessarily always my go-to for horror subgenres or horror in general. So Mm. to see it lend actually more to like a body horror element, which I love body horror, um, it was just, it it was such a delight. And I think that that I'm going to keep coming back to that because this film overall is such a brutal delight because it was so unexpected and it was just so unprepared for the direction Juan was going to go in. And not only like taking a massive swing with this very abstract amalgamation of genres and whatnot, but just having the confidence to tackle it in a way that respects it without coming off as being like, there are corny moments, but it doesn't, you don't see that in the production value again. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of worried that going back into a rewatch that like, yeah, I wasn't going to enjoy that first 45 Mm. minutes, hour or so. I thought I wasn't going to enjoy it as much, you know, just waiting for the fun shit to really (laughs) go down. But then on the rewatches, like I just, it made me appreciate, you know, like, yeah, seeing like what James Wan has like learned over his career, like in the different movies that he's done, the different techniques. And like, you know, in, in that scene with the the second doctor, it's like, like you said, like we have like three, four different red herrings. And like, it's like a cool um, lesson that like James Wan knows like, okay, as much as you, the more you hold back in the scene, the more that you got to give them the goods when you do deliver it. So it's like, you know, fakes you out three times and you're like, man, like what, what's going to go down? And then, I mean, then it's just, yeah, like just a full, like, you know, 30 seconds uncut of a dude just getting stabbed <laughs> like 20 different times. I was also like, why is the killer's arm so mm. awkward? What's going on? Why are they swinging <laughs> at that like that? And so it got me, got me thinking some more again. And, um, but yeah, like just there were, all the different things like the this movie feels like not that like James Wan's coming to the end of his career or anything but like it feels like a victory lap like type movie like you know he's like you know like look what I can do like look what I've learned over the years look at the things that I've done what you know and expect from me but then look I still have more tricks up my sleeve like I'm still fresh I can still do the shit like and I'm good at this like that's what like there's a confidence to this movie and the decisions that it makes in pretty much all aspects like and again like having this movie being as brutal and violent as it is but it was you know marketed as like this is kind of like a it's marketed like a a mass consumption type movie that like hey we want everybody to watch this but it's definitely one of those movies that's like 
if this is your jam, then you're going to be right. into it. So it's, it's really not for everybody, but the fact that he still is like, I'm going to take my swings and know that certain people, that the people who do appreciate this are going to appreciate it so much more. And so, yeah, that first hour just feels like there is a lot of self-awareness, um, from one and, um, but yeah. And then like, cause it is this movie, like, again, like, you know, a lot of people don't like this because they're like, Oh, it's not scary. And, and I don't think he's trying to be scary right. in this movie. I think he does put certain scare set pieces in because he knows that this is a horror movie and this is something that people are coming for. So it's not like he's not giving that to you. Um, he's just, that's not the, the focal point of this movie. Like, you know, he doesn't want you to be scared as far as, or as much more as he wants you to just be like, off balance throughout the movie. Well, I think also like in terms of criticisms that a horror movie isn't scary. So then all of a sudden by some yeah. reason they view that as not being good. I think that it's two things, mm-hmm. right? That's a, an oversimplification of the genre, but also it's an antiquated view of the genre. Some of the best horror films that we've enjoyed have not been ones that are bone chilling or outright terrifying, right? I think that to say that horror exactly. film, and I mean, your podcast does a fantastic job of highlighting subgenres and whatnot, and not all of the movies that, and some of the ones that I've talked with you about in the past, like, they're not the scariest movies ever made. Some of them I wouldn't even say are necessarily scary, but that's not the point of the entire horror g- genre, right? To make a blanket statement on the qualities of horror based on whether or not mm-hmm. it is terrifying and it scares you so you can't sleep. like. Again, that's a just an oversimplification of the genre, and it's not giving it the credit that the genre has, like the potential that the genre can have to tell stories that are more than just scares. And I think that that, again, like people that say stuff like that, it's kind of like just saying, oh, it's the worst movie I've ever seen. It's like you're telling on yourself in terms yeah. of, A, you just want to get your opinion out, but you don't really have anything constructive to say. And I guess also like if you're going to go around and say like, well, horror movies are only weighed by their scares, it's like, well, you don't really understand the genre then because every genre is not just one thing. And I think that it's an oversimplification of the horror genre, but also just film in general. Like the, some of the best films ever yeah. made, they dabble in so they might be listed as a genre, but they dabble in four or five other genres or subgenres mm-hmm. and all these things. And yeah, that's always one of those, uh, one of those criticisms where I'm just like, well, I was selling, I was going to sell this movie to you on a number of different qualities and one of them not being scary. So all of a sudden this qualities are just like negated. Like where, like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's, it's, it's a simplification because like why I love horror movies is because they evoke feelings in you. Like they evoke these emotions and reactions out of you. But if the only emotion getting pulled out of you is just, you know, like scared, Mm all the time that gets of course like i mean i would say i would say a majority of my favorite horror films are the ones that aren't scary but are horror films that make me feel a certain way and like this movie like you know with like because i always talk about like when when people talk about um you know over violence and gore being pointless or only being used for shock like I, I see certain movies like and I, I talked about this um, like about like the the 2013 Evil Dead remake 
is that like I like violence like to where it gets to a point to where it becomes like comical and like that's what like this movie's mm-hmm. like violence <laughs> feels like like especially like once we get to the big precinct scene like the the violence in this movie isn't supposed to like gross you out or it's not supposed to like make you scared but it's like it literally had me cheering <laughs> because like it's just like gleefully silly right. violence and like you know so it's like again like it doesn't always have to just go to like be towards one yeah. thing you know like all these different elements can be used in different ways but still be used as into being an effective horror film. yeah and i think that the use of violence in horror is another great example of how every element of a film can be very versatile in the right hands right people are going to like especially with something like horror Violence is often a pretty common factor of film of horror films, and yet there's so many different approaches to it and the ways in which you can handle it and how it is being manipulated in a specific film to match that tone or the vision that the director has and how it can best be utilized to tell that very specific story. I 100% agree with and I mean, it's not a horror director, but like Jeremy Solaner who did uh, Green Room and uh, Blue Ruin and whatnot, like he's a director that has violence obviously in all of his films, but he has an attention to violence that I find to have a quality that you never become desensitized to it because there's so limited use of it. And yet every single time he uses it, it is so brutal and so memorable and gut-wrenching in a way that it makes it more impactful than a majority of other sort of thrillers or action movies that I've seen that have violence in them because it's sparingly used, but every instance of it is memorable and it's pivotal to the story. It never becomes sort of just this one-off that they keep referring, uh, recurring uh, element within the film. But um, I guess now we definitely have to talk about some of the most fun parts of the movie. Not that we don't enjoy the uh, first half, but when you have that big reveal, right, of who this presence is, this Gabriel, and we learn that it's not actually a spirit, it's not another person that is stalking her and people tied to Madison's life, but it is this parasitic twin that was quite literally cut out of her back Uh, at a young age and they thought it was repressed back into her skull after removing I forget what they say like 80% of this tumor that grows Mm -hmm. a face out of the back of her head and there's like little (laughs) arms that wave back and forth and then when the shitty boyfriend smashes Madison's head against the wall it basically reawakens Gabriel and what that means is, is that Gabriel takes over Madison's body and Madison's body quite literally dis uh uh dislocates her joints like, her, and like shoulder yeah and so so the the when i clocked this was during like may like besides the precinct scene my other favorite scene which is um after gabriel um already kills the third doctor and detective shaw goes to try and save him but it's already happened and then we get this long chase scene ensuing. One, I love super long chase scenes. I feel like chase scenes are too short these days. Um, this one goes on for quite a bit, but then this is when I started noticing. I go, wait, I was like, they're running backwards. <laughs> I was like, like, I mean, the, the chase scene, uh, shout out to, um, to the um, physical actress for Gabriel, Marina Mazeppa, who did almost all of this like actual stuff like is like this switching back and forth between like going forward and backwards and like you know like coordinating how the arms and hands work backwards and like everything is like so so well done but like this chase scene is just so cool seeing 
Gabriel, um, and this is like a, a really fun pivot too, like between the tones and subgenres. Like, you know, the, the second half of the film feels more action, you know, based. And like, this is like that kind of turning point where they go from a horrific kill scene into this, you know, action style chase scene. And I feel like uh, that pivots the movie really well. Um, it gives this movie uh, a, like, you know, injection in the arm. And like, this is like, for me, like when the movie really takes off is after this chase right. scene, um, which I just find so fun watching Gabriel do parkour, <laughs> like backwards, backwards parkour. Yeah. Um, like, and I started like, just like noticing all the like little things that like, I just appreciate about Gabriel. Like, fuck Maddie. I don't know who she is in this movie. This is Gabriel's right. movie. This is uh, how Gabriel got his groove right. back on the back of his sister's head. Um, like, I love that. I love that Gabriel's like, even though can do all this parkour stuff, is also clumsy. Right. And, like, falls a lot because they are right. backwards. So it's like they do still like mm-hmm. fall and like make like awkward movements on top of all the crazy shit that they're doing. Like. Like, this is just, like, why I just started to, like, really appreciate, like, all the little details about Gabriel. And, like, and that's, like, one of the big Jalo aspects of this movie is, like, you know, this kind of the, the police procedural, the whodunit aspect is there, um, obviously, in some of the stylistic choices. But then also just, like, in, um, I love the Jalo movies that have, like, the very specific killer <laughs> So it's like Gabriel has the trench coat, the gloves, fashions a specific weapon out of a trophy, like all the like um, calling cards of like, just like creating this like very interesting character. And that's like, oh yeah, it's a parasitic twin on the back of a woman's head. (laughs) Well, you just answered one of my questions for you, which is like, why is Gabriel such a, now it seems based off of a single film, like he feels very iconic and he has this kind of prowess about him that makes him stand out from the moment that you learn about the reveal, and it's a lot of the reasons for what you said, right? He's not only dons this very iconic look and you get to see this very gross, meaty face popping out of the back of her head with this long hair in his face. And then he's wearing the trench coat. He's got the repurposed medical trophy as now it's a uh, his knife essentially to kill his victims with. And between that and also like his movements and whatnot, he's just so iconic out of the gate. But again, it comes back to the second half of the film, I think, being the most representative of Juan's ability to take everything he's learned on the bigger films that he's been working on and the more high-profile franchises that he's found himself in and more action-oriented franchises, for that matter, and seeing him take all those elements and put it into the horror genre in a way that, yeah, we've seen action horror before, but I don't know we've ever seen it as stylized and as brutal as this because I think especially, like, we have to mention, of course, the police station scene when you get that big reveal where... Madison finds herself in jail and then of course Gabriel is birthed from the back of her head and she proceeds to kill everybody in the jail cell and then once she like ends up punching through people's stomachs and curb stomping their heads and breaking their necks then she attacks like the entire police force and basically kills half of the police force in this town. Uh, I think that it just is so refreshing to see a director not only like have this balls of the wall concept but then the action horror element of it matches that harebrained concept in a way that is so unrelenting for the entire length of that scene and like you had said i mean the chase scene feels like it is actually given the proper amount of length that it needs to instill what that chase scene should be rather than just being like here's an action beat like no 
we're actually learning something about the character about Gabriel and whatnot, his movements, the ways in which that this character is able to contort themselves, but also it's given a, an action scene, the amount of length that it needs to actually like say something more than just being like, oh, this is a chase scene. There's more significance tied to yeah. it. And I think that Juan's giving it the time that it deserves, again, just shows that he's willing to give the proper attention to even the most wild ideas that he has in a way that is refreshing. And you see the payoff in those moments. Like, even if you're one of those people that you didn't dig this film, like, I don't see how you could watch those action set pieces and not be like, this is unlike anything else I've ever seen. Like, if you come out of this movie and you're not a Gabriel stan, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I mean, like, and, and it's what every director dreams of doing is, like, you know, creating an iconic slasher or an iconic monster. And, you know, and James Wan's done it multiple times, you know. And it, it, it was really cool because, I mean, we just get such a three-dimensional, like, portrayal of this character like Gabriel is more than just like the evil you know like villain of the movie like and because like we even get like you know Gabriel's personality through the way he talks like talking through electronic devices because he controls electric shit why it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah it, it, it doesn't like every, like that's like been like one question like everybody comes up how can gabriel control electricity how who is cares? that anybody's takeaway from this they're like man that was cool but like how does he drink electricity it's like motherfucker they say it in the first five seconds of the movie they just said he it, drinks yeah. electricity that's all you need <laughs> to know you don't need to know why the fuck what the fuck what reasoning could there be where you don't enjoy the reality of a slasher killer or a killer for that matter that drinks electricity and makes electricity explode at will like that is what I'm talking about with Juan in that he's so unapologetic with the most wild aspects that a killer could have, and yet it doesn't matter the answer for them because he sells it so well. There is something in that, the way that he sells everything. I mean, it's just like between like the talking and then we see like in the beginning, we see Gabriel like so dark and like as like this like mm. shadow almost. And so you're like trying to figure out like, okay, like, yeah, what, what is Gabriel? Is it this dark imaginary friend or something like that? And just the fact that like, he does take the time to, you know, not have this reveal and like, let you sit here and try to formulate all the things that you can think of. And, but it's like, like only like one out of five people might've properly guessed Oh, is on the back of this bitch's right. head. Like, like I, 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 when I said it to my friend, like during the chase, and I go, he's on the back of her head, and she goes, what? <laughs> and she's like, are you? F she goes, no, there's no way. And I was like, we're gonna find out. And like, like, cause you just like, you wouldn't think that. And like, and the the unexplained like electricity thing, like, um, this is where, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people, you know, when we kind of throw out these comparisons and stuff like basket cases gotten thrown out quite a bit. This, uh, the, the characterization of Gabriel reminds me of, um, the, the killer in tourist trap. Okay. Yeah. Um, who, you know, has this like theatricality about him. He wears this mask and wears a tuxedo, you know, like Gabriel literally in between the cell brawl and then like killing the cops had to go to the the, the, the inventory yeah. 
to go put on their <laughs> robe and gloves and get their weapon because, like, they just gotta, you know, because, like, Gabriel, it's that important to him. So it's like, I love that the theatricality is there, but then, like, in Taurus Trap, they don't explain why he's telekinetic. He just is for some reason. And then, like, obviously the reveal is that it's one guy with two personalities, which is, you know, very similar to this, except that it is truly, you know, two separate entities you know one person with the the parasitic twin is i mean just like everything how do you come up with stuff (laughs) well i think that that's a great point in terms of just like he does such a great job of instilling this killer that feels like it is while it is a parasitic twin at least that it seems like it is a real character it doesn't feel like it's just another monster for the very reason Mm -hmm. that you stated and i think that that is what lends to the sort of iconic nature of it with it being such a new killer. But at the same time, it feels, it has that sort of prowess that identity is a massive part of Gabriel's identity. And I think that that's shows in that his wanting to be separate from his host, but you get his frustration in his predicament of like, I'm tethered to this person, but I'm not gonna let that get in the way of what I wanna do, which is to kill all these motherfuckers that made my life hell. Um, And I think that like you, that example you gave in terms of like, well, he has to have his jacket. He has to have his signature weapon because why wouldn't he? He's nothing without them almost. Um, and that's something that, again, on paper, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it just it lends a certain authenticity to this ridiculous concept in a way that it's like, yeah, I could see this. I could see this happening in this the parameters of this film and whatnot. But I think also, again, it's just one lending the right amount of legitimacy to these wild concepts in a way that it sells them in a way that why would you question it like look how good this looks look how it seems very thought out and i'm sure that it is but it just in terms of like playing devil's advocate people that might be like well this is just kind of silly and stupid it's like well no there's actually a great deal of thought that went into almost every single aspect of this in terms of like yeah it's a parasitic twin but he's got his own sense of identity and morals and what he needs to do to get the job done I mean, just like the the fact that the the only emotional beat that I connect with in this movie is Gabriel yelling at her, I didn't ask to be yeah. tethered to you. I was like, damn. <laughs> like I I get it, Gabriel. Like I get all I get all this. Like I felt so much more for him at that moment, but like just cuz they do like, you know, take the time to be like, you know, like Gabriel, you know, is always scared that like you know he's already been pushed away but like okay if another sibling comes in now i'm really gonna be forgotten about even though i already pretty much have been like you you like there is like layers and nuance to this character um and just like the fact that all like so much of the attention to detail is like given given there is just really cool um and again like kind of just the the way that you know, like you said, like the, the way that Gabriel moves and like these action pieces, like they're just like, these are things that just like are what you need when you like create an iconic character, like make them an actual character. They have a personality, they have feelings, but then like also like have this, you know, the icon, the iconic look, but then also like, just like the other memorable traits as well. Like just literally has everything. Like, you know, I was so excited to like see all the, the Gabriel Halloween yes. costumes this oh past year and the internet did not disappoint. No, did not. If I wasn't, 
If I wasn't working, I was going to do one, but I was like working all weekend. But man, like, cause I was like, I, I hope, you know, in the next five to 10 years, like this, we're going to start seeing like Gabriel costumes and spirit Halloween, you know, like that's, that's, that's what I want. I want Gabriel to have his legacy. It's what he deserves. Um, I'm very disappointed in this movie. Not one person called him the backwards man. <laughs> Like at the police station, like that should have been like when they're like, we're on the search for the the serial killer, the backward, yeah. like that. They do uh, have that hilarious uh, police sketch though of him, where it's just, it's just like <laughs> they have this moment where they're like, is this the man? This is the man you're describing that you saw, and it's just like the most fucking hodgepodge throw together like crypt keeper looking face ever, and she's just like, yeah, that's like- him. <laughs> <laughs> I love the I love the two gags that they have with the the sketch artist guy because they they have that and then whenever um uh you know leading into the reveal of you know the Maddie being the the person from the videos and with the connection to Gabriel is whenever he like set, like gives them the the picture of little Emily and is like hey can you age this up 30 years and, and, and and then she goes, and he goes, oh, so you got her? And he goes, what are you talking about? He's like, I put that sketch on your desk. You found the, the gal that I sketched. And then he picks it up. And it's literally just like yeah. a printout <laughs> of Annabelle Wallace's like headshot. <laughs> and it's uh, like those two little bits are so good. There's such, I, I love the the bits of like, you know, like there's so much intentional comedy mm. too. And like a lot of the times people are like, oh, or like, is this supposed to be this cheesy? Is it supposed to be this? Like, um, you know, like with the the uh, the crime scene uh, person played by James Wan's wife, who was also a story oh, sure. person on. Um, uh, yeah, that's his wife, and she um, either co-wrote the script or did the has a story yeah, credit. Story credit um, for the movie, <laughs> like um, when they're uh, when Kikoa Shaw and he says. Um, they're looking for the, the other half of the trophy. They're like, oh, that's the murder weapon. He's like, he's like, oh, we got to find that other half. And then she's like, don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> like, it, 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 the delivery is so good. Like, I, uh, I've i seen people criticize her performance. I was like, no, she she was in on the story. She knew what was going on with the camp performances. Right. Why wasn't everybody on that level? Again, that would seem like a nitpick criticism, too, because it's like, it's very clear what, her character's role is and it's for those moments like that's not like her character's supposed to have this big emotional beat or arc or something like that like no she's there for those very deliberate moments of camp um i guess this kind of segues into i was going to ask like what are some of your favorite like clearly just hilarious lines in this movie because there are definitely a handful like one of mine is um sort of just like the detective's being like you're trying to tell me that the killer is your imaginary friend and they like sell that so well and just like the lunacy of the police procedural and just like how you've heard something like that around however many episodes of like a law and order or something or like the line when the during the police assault where she grabs the phone and she's like send the fucking national guard and it's just so over the top and preposterous that you're just like this is working for me in a way that i get it doesn't work for a lot of people but it's a clear moment where they're like, listen, we're having a lot of fun and now we're going to let you know just how much fun we're having. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, um, poking fun at like some of the police procedural stuff. Like again, the fucking sketch artist <laughs> guy, um, when Kakoa Shaw like asked him to do a sketch, he's like, Hey Bosco, are you here? And he just goes, no. <laughs> 
um, which uh, is super funny. The I think the biggest laugh for me wasn't even a line. It's fucking when Gabriel hurls the chair at Sean then when they're running away. Like, just the, the motion of it, the visual, and just, like, from, like, 30 yards out, just, like, Gabriel's literally, like, is a, is a cheat code in a video <laughs> game. And, like, when he, like, hit them, like, I, I'm not a big proponent of, like, cheering and clapping in movies, but I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> like... <laughs> Um, I think that's like literally one of the funniest moments of the entire movie. <laughs> I just love that. Again, like Juan's ability to make a film that is so confident, no matter how weird it is. And it just, you can tell how much he has refined his craft, especially like in from his time away from the horror genre. Cause it's one of those things where you could have, it's understandable to be worried as soon as somebody like makes a name for themselves in the horror space they step away and, you know, at no fault of their own, when somebody's offering you an insane amount of money to make Fast and the Furious movies, to make an Aquaman movie, a DC movie, whatever, you kind of do get worried, or at least I did, in terms of like, well, is he going to come back to horror? And to see him come back in a way that is not only taking big swings, that is nothing like what he's done previously, and it's indicative of somebody that's been honing their craft in that time away from being behind the camera for a horror film. I mean, Malignant is one of those movies that, I mean, it's the most fun I think I've had with a horror movie this year. It might not be my favorite horror movie of the year, but it's the one that I've returned to the most over the course of the year. And it's the one that in my sort of short list of horror movies that I would show people, like if they come over for beers or whatever to hang out and they're like, oh, let's watch a horror movie. I'm like, cool. We're definitely going to be either watching this or something similar, even though to say that now, there's nothing really similar to it. But just in terms of like the accessibility, even if horror is not their thing, it's the type of film where I'm like, well, you're going to have fun regardless if you like it or not. That's the one thing like with the divisive opinions. Mm-hmm. I don't see how you can't have fun with it. You're going to laugh with it or you're going to laugh at it. But it's the type of movie where it just cl- it checks so many boxes in terms of like doing things that are just outside the realm of what a lot of people associate with horror, but also just his ability to do horror, comedy, action, camp. Again, we can go down the list of all the subgenres that he taps into, whether they be related to horror or not. Yeah, like, uh, you know, I'm just happy that something just as fully unique as this, um, you know, came out of this year. Like, I mean, very same for me, like best theater going experience. I had probably the most fun movie um, to watch um, and maybe Psycho Goreman coming yeah, in second place, true. but like another another movie that's just like we're getting these, you know, like just like bonkers, like unabashedly unique movies, and like you know, I feel like we didn't get nearly as many of those like last year. Like I can barely remember like what my top ten was from last year, um, but I feel like this year, like between like Malignant and Psycho Goreman, we have these movies that are, and, and Willy's Wonderland, like, these movies that are just, like, remembered and embraced for being just, like, you know, not perfect, but just, like, you know, unabashedly themselves-type movies, you know, with these, with this confident direction behind it, and again, like, I, I'm just, like, I'm happy for James Wan that he's, like, kind of literally getting to do, like, the, you know, the prime directing like kind of thing of like you know he's getting to make multiple movies he's consistently making movies he has not had to compromise his vision he does them on various budgets he gets lots of money and gets trust behind him um in what he does 
and um you know and like you know you gotta just respect that above all else but like also like yeah like i I just need i need more gabriel (laughs) in my life um the the last thing i do need to shout out was gabriel is so savage he made a dude's pace explode like i mean this is the level of creativity that gabriel's giving us um another like little tiny flaw don't love um the resolution of the movie of Maddie sealing Gabriel away in a mental prison, taking her mind and body back, and um, it just uh, it it didn't quite feel just like what we deserved after just the ride that we just went on, you know. But and and not that I love that this movie um, hopefully will be just like a standalone thing. Um, they did kind of leave it open for a sequel, obviously because. Gabriel's not gone or anything. So, if they did do a sequel to this movie, I want it to lean, I want it to go campier, lean more into the action side. I want this to basically be like Venom, oh, yeah. but like, but like more evil, like, because Gabriel's just straight up evil. Like, what if Maddie becomes like some sort of vigilante? Because we see that she can tap into Gabriel's strength. Um, whenever she needs to, I guess. And the same could possibly go for the electric powers. Or what if she, Sydney gets kidnapped and we need Gabriel to save the day? Some sort of vigilante style sequel would be hilarious. Gabriel and Maddie like bickering at each other like siblings because mm. they are. Uh, I want to see Juan do something akin to what M. Night Shyamalan did with uh, un. Unbroken or unbreakable, split glass. Like, imagine if he made his own like a whole dark horror cinematic universe. Like, how? Imagine just him running wild with another crazy idea that he gives the same amount of, just bringing it to fruition in a way that is respectful into the filmmaking craft, even no matter how wild and weird the ideas are. And then we inevitably will get a film where these characters collide and meet. I think that would be fucking amazing. And he's definitely one of those people where say what you will about like some of our faults with the film at least for my money like this is a film that feels very much more successful in terms of like doing its own thing but doing it in a way that while like you had said i'm not in love with the way the ending uh the ending of the film like it kind of gets wrapped up in a way that's a little too cliched or predictable that's not necessarily reaching the same extreme heights that a majority of the film is it kind of just feels a little too clean cut uh, at the end of the day, though, like, I'm not saying that I necessarily need a sequel, but it's the type of thing where I'd like to see him expand on this potentially, like, new little corner of his filmography that he's crafting with these sort of very self-aware, but at the same time, like, pushing the limits of audience expectations, whether it be, like, genre or just the blending in which that he can take action and horror, because there's a lot of promise in that, I think. But, yeah, man, it's a movie that... I mean, every single time I watch it, I just I enjoy it a little bit more. And it's one again, like definitely the most fun I think I've had with a movie this year. And I'm so jealous that you got to watch it in the theater. I would have killed to see it in the theater. It wasn't playing near me, but I'm just happy that uh, that, you know, people that at this point that didn't have HBO at the time, it's now left HBO because that exclusivity deal has uh, ended. So -hmm. now it's more readily available for people to go and see. And it's. It's a ride, you know? You can't guarantee that uh, 
Some people won't find it to be very divisive or find it to not be in line with what they expect of horror films, but it is unlike anything that they've probably ever seen, and I think that's a pretty safe bet for uh, for most. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm really glad I did get to see it in a theater, and it was like a pretty full one, too. Like, it was almost completely oh, sold wow. out, uh, which was super awesome, and everybody was, you know, having the fun reactions to it, and um, yeah, this is definitely a movie I'm going to watch uh, a ton of times. Um, for your for your next rewatch, um, look out for this uh, little detail. The movie in the very final shot, um, whenever Sydney and Maddie are hugging, and remember Gabriel killed the mom. Um, in the very final shot, there's a mistake where while Maddie and Sydney are hugging, the mom's actress turns her head <laughs> over, and I just feel like James Wan left that in as one like last little Mm -hmm. joke from the movie like ah she moved her head whatever like this moment isn't real like who cares you know like I noticed it and it made me laugh so uh, look out for that on your next rewatch at the very it's literally the last scene I'll definitely do that because I can guarantee you there'll be a rewatch in my future probably around the holidays actually when I get together with people I'll be like you know what I'm gonna throw some shit Mm -hmm. on that y'all are not ready for and we'll be picking out certain things like that but uh, I guess before, obviously, of course, enjoyed having you on once again to talk horror for uh, Daily Horror Habit and whatnot. But before I let you go, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, plug your podcast, which I've gotten to be on now, I believe once or twice. But anyways, it's just I love your podcast and how it further not only has such a wide group of people and wide variety of voices and backgrounds and people coming to talk about a general love of horror that we all share, but uh, also just your dabbling and uh, deep dives into uh, subgenres of horror and whatnot. So why don't you uh, plug your podcast for people so they can check it out. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. I appreciate uh, chatting with you as always. Um, Yeah, Bloody Blunt Cinema Club is on all podcast platforms and uh, we basically go into uh, subgenres every month has a different theme. And um, we have also been looking more into um, doing more dives into franchises, which is um, very fun to like kind of pick apart like how a franchise progresses throughout its movies between chains of directors, like stuff like that too. So um, if you like exploring stuff like that, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. And the podcast page is at bloody blunt CC. And I also have a song out on Spotify and Apple music. It's called swoon. So uh, stream it, put it on your playlist. It's good stuff. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, everybody, make sure you check out uh, Devon's podcast and his music because he's fantastic at what he does. So thanks again, man. This was a pleasure as always. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.